BFG people, hello and welcome to Blockchain Insider. I'm your host, Mauricio Magaldi, and this is episode 198. Today, I'm joined by my brand new co-host, the amazing Catherine Gu, head of CBDC and protocols at Visa. How are you doing today, Catherine? Welcome to the show. Doing great. Thank you for having me and very looking forward to co-hosting. I know it's always been fun listening to you and Kai, so I'm hopefully can do as equally a favor to this role as, uh, as Kai has done. So yes. Let's nerd out and let's have fun. Absolutely. So today's topic is UX and crypto. Uh, you've heard me say this many times and Kai say many times where we have a lot of pain points. So what are these pain points? Since crypto is still very much in the growth and build stage, a lot of time and effort and money is spent on technical research, cryptography, software engineering, and getting the structural parts of all of this figured out. But as we now slowly trying to move towards mass adoption of blockchain crypto, user experience will need to be prioritized and researched. And in order for the technology to be more accessible and usable to those who want to adopt it, we have to get it right. As always, we're joined by some fantastic guests to discuss this. And today I'm joined by Micah Isogawa, founder and CEO at Webacy. Welcome to the show, Micah. How are you doing today? It's really great to have you with us. It's been a long time coming. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and Webacy, please? Yeah, 100%. Thank you for having me. First of all, super pumped to be here. Briefly on me, so my first introduction to crypto was in 2014. I had some coworkers while I was working at Cirque du Soleil who were really into Bitcoin. So that's what they taught me about. And ever since, I've been a big fan of the technology and obviously have started a company in the space. Professionally, I did engineering in school in the AI space and was most recently at Microsoft as a cybersecurity engineer with the government. And Webacy, we started in 2021. Uh, we're a security and safety company building tools to improve digital management in Web3. Nice. We're also joined by Riaz Fazulaboy. I hope I said this right. Co-founder of Bastion. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about you and Bastion, please? Thanks so much for having me. So excited to be here. Bastion, we're building infrastructure to really enable the next wave of products in Web3 and help with onboarding and beyond. About myself, prior to co-founding Bastion, I was most recently CTO at Andreessen Horowitz Crypto Fund, helping with the portfolio and partners. Prior to that, was working at Facebook on the Libra project, as well as before that was at Anchorage, focused on institutional custody as a founding engineer. So excited to dig in today. Awesome. Great profiles to discuss UX with us. So before we dive in, just as a reminder to our listeners, the views or opinions of our panel are their own and don't necessarily reflect those of the companies that they are representing. And as always, nothing we say should be taken as tax, financial, or legal advice. So go do your own research. So let's get started. We'll begin this by diving deeper into understanding why crypto is struggling with UX and what's the underlying challenge behind it. So we'll begin with an overarching question. We're going to go through the panel. So why does this UX that exists currently in crypto gets such a bad rep. What are the main pain points of UX in crypto today? I'm going to start with you, Micah. I think it's hard to come up with one really clean, good experience in crypto from a UX perspective in the first place. Like the, the very first thing that you have to protect your seed phrase. In the beginning, the best option you had to keep it safe was like a piece of paper, right? A lot of people have it written in a book somewhere. So that's what we're starting with. And then things just kind of build up. 
from that, right? And this is a really revolutionary technology and a piece of paper was the best solution we had for storing the most, arguably most important piece of the puzzle. So don't get me wrong, I still believe like blockchains is an incredibly world-changing technology, which is why I'm still here, which is why I'm sure a lot of us are still here. Uh, but we as people, I think we just expect things to be easier and more logical and delightful. And so try to explain to a newbie how to get a key on Fentech from start to finish, and you'll kind of see where the problems lie when it comes to user experience. Absolutely. Rias, what's your take on this? Definitely lots of overlap here. And the way that if I had to oversimplify it, really, to me, there are three, three problems that when I think about the current user experience, firstly, to the seed phrase point, onboarding into Web3 and crypto feels clunky and is often unsafe, whether it's writing down on a piece of paper or even with you know, some of the experiences today, onboarding is still, still not at the place where we'd expect if you were a Web2 user getting used to apps that you know and love today on your phone. Second, once you onboard, Web3 experiences are known for having too much friction, both for users and from a cost perspective. We think about gas costs and other network fees. It makes it really hard once users do onboard to have seamless experiences for them to stay and work through those, those problems. And then lastly, closing out the feedback loop is today businesses are, are flying mostly blind when it comes to understanding what's happening in terms of analytics and data on their products in Web3, which makes it even harder for them to then go back and try to solve the problems and improve the UX with both onboarding and steady state for these experiences. Got it. Catherine, you have a very specific experience when dealing with B2B as well. Is, is this the same? I mean, UX is UX, right? So regardless of whether you're an individual or a company, what is your perce perception in this space? For sure. I mean, I think it's a very good question because whether you're looking at B2B or P2P, I mean, firstly, I think UX is a pretty personal thing, right? Whether that's personal to the business or personal to the individual, you definitely develop certain preferences. And I think the key to highlight is the fact that if we're just looking at the traditional Web2 space, things have been developing for quite some time and they're actually really good. So you have all these SaaS businesses, analytics, Tableau and others who are really collectively trying to create a great UI UX experience, whether it's for the business again or for the individuals. And if we're looking to the crypto kind of adoption and such, I think there's still plenty to catch up just to be as good as what today's sort of experience feels like. So if we think about the pain points, right, is, is there the need to designed for specific trade-offs. You guys talked about, you know, the seed phrase and then the security, the friction while using dApps or, or applications in general in Web3. So what can we compromise to create, or can we compromise? I think that's the, be the better question is, can we compromise any other factors around the usability of uh, Web3 so we can in the same shape of the blockchain trilemma where we give away a little bit of security to get you know, more decentralization and, and, and maybe a, a little better performance or scalability, there is this kind of necessary trade-off for blockchains in general. Is this the same for UX? And what are the trade-offs that we might want to start pulling in to enable that better UX for other users? I'm going to go with you, Rias, first. It's a great question. And the way that I think about it is the answer should be no, there shouldn't need to be trade-offs. We should get to a place where 
the UX and crypto is is amazing and just feels like every experience and every app you love today without without it being insecure, without it trading off on other other axes. That said, I think it's also really important to understand the context uh, of the user context and understand what can go wrong in various cases, right? We see this even outside of crypto, though this is also in crypto, that you know some people would keep, whether it's private keys or very valuable items in vaults in the Alps or in some out, you know, very secure location. And that, there's a time and a place for that. But for for really bringing to mainstream and user experience that users know and love, we, un- we can understand what that feels like in Web 2 and bring that to Web 3 and ideally not have them feel like trade-offs are being made in a way that compromises the user experience. What's your perspective on this, Micah? Because you're you're working on the security space, right? There is a lot of friction associated with security, but if well-designed, we can see security as part of the experience in enabling the users, not necessarily you know, pulling them back. What is, what is that perspective when it comes to security? Yeah, I mean, I think Riaz makes a really good point, and I completely agree that I don't want to live in a world where we have to admit that there are limits to having all of the above, right? And I don't think we have limits to all of the above. It's just going to take a while to get there. And it's going to take a lot of learning uh, about these new use cases to get there. And this blockchain trilemma thing that you mentioned, it reminds me of people who work with their hands, like carpenters. They say you can have it fast, you can have it good, or you can have it cheap, right? And it's, and that those things do have these physical limitations, but we're working in a slightly different world here. When it comes to security, security is something where people take for granted in a lot of the case. Like you don't think about it in the traditional Web2 world, even things like physical security. Um, we, we rely on a lot of systems that have already been in place for millions of years as humans. And that's something that is going to have some growth pains uh, as we are in this new space. And so it's it's part of the journey, though. And it's something that each team individually that serve users have to think about, uh, but also users themselves now that we own things. Yeah. Catherine, Visa is known for great user experience, right? That's the, the forefront of the, the cards business is ease of use and fast transactions and all of that. This is all adds up to the user experience. You're dealing with protocols that at times can take a lot of minutes to finality, which is a very different experience altogether. How do you balance that? I mean, right now you're actually developing products that use a backend on blockchains, various blockchains, different blockchains. How do you guys balance that out when thinking about that design of a user experience? Because we can say that this is enterprise-grade user experience, but we can always say that there is a degree of abstraction when it comes to the Visa products. What is the balance there? Yeah, and um, you know, I'll I'll back up also with a follow-up question in a bit. But I think, in my opinion, that there's certain sort of features that just should not and cannot be compromised, right? Like going back to the security fundamentally, we cannot tolerate when it's insecure. And I think... There were data saying that, you know, even just in the past five years, we spent over 10 billion just on these cybersecurity and resiliency perspectives. So I think things like availability, resiliency and security is a must have, no matter what else of the feature design you're providing to the customer, because that's super important. And to that point, actually, the question I had in mind, and this is well to guess here, is given both of you are developing your own individual products, what I'm curious, what does that decision making process look like? Do you start with 
okay, I must have this and then decide on other things and just sort of figure out what else I need to say, take off a little bit in order to have a really strong, say, security or something? Would you just have a blank page and be like, let's do the mix and match and see how the clients sort of fit into the, to your uh, design matrix? Great question. And certainly at Bastion, myself and my co-founder, Nas, have worked on security and specifically key custody across institutional at Anchorage, retail and consumer at Facebook and seeing everything in between and the full the full spectrum and with injuries and Horowitz in their portfolio, but also partners and just the full ecosystem. And so at Bastion, we're taking that experience and that view of the full space. Certainly to your point, Catherine, there is a baseline that is non-negotiable, but for everything we can think about from the UX first and reverse engineering from there, that's the approach we take. Really exciting at this point in time that whether it's off-chain infrastructure or on-chain infrastructure, or even very traditional security infrastructure like secure hardware, there's been so many advancements in the space that really enables us to go in this UX first and reverse engineer and understand where are the pieces that we can glue together or, or think about how to engineer this in a way that we don't we don't compromise on security and at bastion we're, we're pretty pretty excited to be offering that through apis to our customers to build on top of and so certainly the goal is start from the ux and go backwards obviously can't compromise thankfully there's enough advancements in the space and many more that are coming that we're really excited about in web3 and crypto and outside and really enabling us not to make the trade-off on the ux yeah, I'm glad there's teams that are focusing on things like this that are enabling other companies who have other ideas and other priorities for themselves to be able to do those things without giving up on doing things like security, doing things like interoperability, safety, smoothness, and things like that. And so I think it's really going to be an ecosystem win. At WebSC, obviously, we're a security safety-minded company, so that's where we focus on the most. But as a product team, we like to think about what do we want to actually enable for the user? Because the user is not coming into us thinking, oh, let me have a good user experience with security. It's more like, how do I keep my assets safe? How do I know what's happening in my wallet? How do I maintain peace of mind when I am now in charge of the responsibility of owning my own assets and being bankless? Uh, and so that's where we think of from. And how do we enable that? That's where you can kind of think, oh, do we, does a user actually need this? Or what, what's an experience for them that enables them to get to the place that where they want to go? So as a product team, that's kind of the way we think about things. And then you naturally find decisions that make sense to enable that. So in a sense, uh, security, I understand, is non-negotiable, right? And, and that is a part of imperative design principle of what we're seeing, what we're building, and ultimately what blockchains are all about, right? Trusted, trustworthy transactions, peer-to-peer, programmable money. Now... This is at a very, at the very least, this is a piece of the infrastructure. Now, there is one trendy movement, at least on crypto Twitter, is who's building for consumers? Who's building for users, right? And while we're still touching the infrastructure, which is exactly what we're doing when we're interacting with crypto, there is a perception that if we can't fix this, we won't have the next billion users because there's no one billion DGENs in the world. There's no one billion engineers in the world. And even if there are, there's seven other billion people that we need to tap 
into the crypto economy. In your minds, what is the one thing that we can offer that is going to break that barrier and say, while secure, people can now actually understand and use this? What is the one thing? I'm going to start with you, Micah. My mind immediately goes to digital freedom. So when I think of use cases that bring people into the space, the biggest and most obvious one for the beginning was a financial opportunity, right? Like a financial alternative. And we see blockchain and crypto taking off in economies where the traditional centralized banking system has failed the people. And then you come to other systems, uh, like the United States, the banking system has not completely failed us. We're not seeing the inability to pay with US dollars. That's not the case here. So for people in the States, it's more like, how can I make money? How can I show off this new JPEG image and be cool to my friends? How can I be early on a trend? So there's these different reasons people get into the space, but I think ultimately people are finding the desire for digital ownership, digital freedom, and new experiences and new ways to interact with the world to be very uh, enticing in the space. Uh, so for me, it has to be that, and it has to come with safety and management and all the things that come beyond that too. Nice. Catherine, what is the one thing in that regard? in your mind. Very much agree on that. And I think, I mean, like some specific features, I guess, that we are very interested in exploring from the visa angle is, for example, like account abstraction, right? Because this is general enough such that it can offer a lot of new flexibilities directly embedded into the payments experience, directly embedded into the, the smart contract writing itself that we think that there could be a lot of future potentials down there. So, you know, we've been exploring this for some time now and looking at Paymaster, looking at ERC4337. All these things are really just pointing out different ways in which like current blockchain design is not capable because there's certain sort of rigidity better into the protocol. But having these, I think, could drive a lot more interesting uh, use cases, especially as we're looking at the sort of the new generation of people. What's their level of expectation of any product? in the world and uh, is blockchain really good enough right now or are there a lot more lessons we need to learn between say the, the from the web 2 uh, environment is important and i think maybe riaz you can talk more on this which is like that decision making of to what extent things should be done still off chain versus on chain because i think you briefly mentioned on that because to me i don't feel like we have to always be everything is on chain for the sake of being on chain but only to the ones that are really important and have a real reason for that. So I don't know how you think about that. A hundred percent agree on, on off-chain versus on-chain. Certainly when it comes to the trade-offs to be making and on-chain paying gas costs, having transaction finality time be, you know, several seconds depending on the chain versus off-chain be able to take that off the table and provide better user experience. Certainly, I think the world will move to a place where there will be, of course, amazing use cases on like purely on chain. There will also be a hybrid of being able to do various operations off chain. And then when it makes sense to go on chain, going on chain. And I think the decision on when to go on chain versus off chain and how to make those mesh together. And this is probably preaching to the choir given we're talking about UX, but it really is how do we offer a better user experience in web? three in crypto than in web two, because there's already, and we're seeing this with our customers, amazing use cases, whether it's loyalty programs, whether it's uh, subscription, social networks that go on chain partially, these, these use cases will, will attract an amazing customer base, but how do we onboard them and how do we keep them uh, 
without get, you know, them getting frustrated with a subpar user experience. And I think that'll be the key. And, but certainly Catherine, I think great point in getting to there and the great, the great UX, we may get to a place where blockchain is invisible for a, you know, a many of the use cases. And it may be that completely invisible because, and even when there's parts that are on chain and parts that are off chain. And to me, I think that's totally fine. I think if people, you know, when you swipe a credit card, you don't understand what the mag stripes, you know, the two sides are, you don't understand how the chip works. You don't understand how SMTP and email protocols work when you send an email. And we need to get to that level of, of UX and abstraction in, in Web3 where even like addresses, gas costs needn't be really exposed unless there's a great reason to, to, to be so in the UX. Yeah, there's the Homer meme. We, we mentioned this in the show before where he, Homer Simpson is walking backwards into the bush. That is how I see blockchain evolving in the next few years. Like it has to be complete because when tech works, it just disappears, right? It, it, it's, it looks like magic. So hopefully we'll, we'll get there. We'll take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibilities, and Visa is helping everyone take part. Consumers can now enjoy the freedom and flexibility of using their Visa crypto link cards for everyday purchases at millions of Visa-accepting merchant locations around the world. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto. A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. So welcome back. Uh, we've discussed a little bit about the pain points of UX. So now let's look forward to what is next in solving UX in Web3. So I'm going to talk about two new technologies that are up and coming. Uh, one is account abstraction, which is a new standard, especially on the Ethereum ecosystem, that allows for more programmable access to funds using smart contracts uh, as wallets instead of a, an externally owned account, which is the user account that relies on the private keys for security. Uh, with, with this new standard, developers of especially wallets or services can essentially create the systems to handle the processes in the background, that's why it's called account abstraction. It abstracts the complexity of that particular engineering. Then the second bit that's coming uh, are zero-knowledge proofs, right? Zero-knowledge proofs are cryptographic engineering softwares that allow you to prove that a piece of data is correct without revealing the data itself. So you have information about the data, but the data doesn't get presented or, or as we say in cryptography, leaked to the other part. So you have a prover and then a verifier, and then the verifier gives faith that the underlying data is proper. So these two things allow for what we were discussing about Homer <laughs> getting back into the bush and getting abstracted. So 
Catherine, you and the team at Visa did a lot of uh, research and hands-on experimentation on account abstraction. Can you kick us off in that direction and, and share with us the findings of that work and how that kind of points to the direction of simplifying UX? Yeah, yeah. And I think you did a great uh, sort of explanation of the what, what is actually account abstraction already, so I wouldn't go into that. But just sort of providing the background, the motivation really does come from the UX problem, right? In the sense, like, we understand that there's so much sort of friction points as a user to really being intact, able to interact with the blockchain. Once you do interact with blockchains, there's lots of uh, different rigidities being better into the protocol. And that's where we're, you know, kind of reverse engineering and thinking backwards what's available. So just to give a very good sense, you know, on Ethereum today, you have, well, I guess prior to the all the newest development on account abstraction, Ethereum has these rigidities. For example, you need uh, ECDSA signatures. You need to have like all these sort of specific requirements. And so, you know, when I'm sending a transaction on the blockchain, it has to be a push, right? Like the user, the sender has to sign that transaction and you push that transaction over to the sender to, to get it. Now, if you reverse engineer and to think about what is the type of different type of payment types I can enjoy as a user today, is a lot more richer than what we are able to allow on blockchain alone. As a very simple example, that you can have these sort of standing orders, you can pay your Amazon or Spotify subscriptions every single month without even thinking about it as long as they have that funding in uh, your account. So who is doing that pooling? And on the blockchain, are you able to do the same? And soon enough, we realize actually it's pretty limited to the extent that you could enable. Of course, that's only just one thing. What I mentioned is an example of a payment experience that you can't enable. There's also things to do with, say, key recoveries. And I think many people are discussing this, the, the idea of social recovery and such, that there's just many different features that in today's world is not possible. So the starting point of what we're wanting to demonstrate is more just on the technology viability. What does it mean and what kind of sort of smart contract do we need to design in order to create something that's a lot more flexible? And this is where, you know, we started the work since uh, very early on, actually last year, it was through our internal hackathon that we're looking at a range of solutions. And uh, we tapped into this idea of creating a delegatable smart contract that it becomes your, your smart account that could then take control of your EOAs or other things and then be able to be delegated with a range of tasks to do so. And since then, we've also explored the newest uh, sort of development that was very much being developed, uh, driven by the Ethereum Foundation itself. For example, ERC4337 has been quite significant in the space. And we've been experimenting that with respect to paying gas fees, because I think Riaz and Micah both mentioned, you know, as a user right now, you do encounter a lot of these sort of friction points also. So can I reduce the gas fee? Can I not pay it? Or can I even just link my today's Visa card directly to it such that I don't need to kind of convert back and forth all these sort of native tokens and then in order just to buy something on the blockchain. All these little details make a lot of difference if you can just really abstract away the background and just make it as simple as possible for a user to be able to spend and uh, intact. Let me extend the question to Riaz and, and Micah. Uh, have you ex had any experience with the new account abstraction format? Is there anything that you're working on that either resembles that or uses that. What is your current experience in, in that space? Uh, you first, Riaz. Sure. Very timely question, actually, with Bastion. We are we are using account abstraction, similar to what Catherine mentioned, for, for gas sponsorship and making that as seamless and simple as possible for users. We do keep it 
behind the scenes in our infrastructure. But yeah, definitely very powerful to have this new this new tool in our tool set. Going back to the UX and reverse engineering, being able to have this tool uh, certainly has has enabled this use case for us. At the same time, it's one tool of, of many. And so I think there's a certain narrative that account abstraction is this new shiny, amazing thing that's gonna solve all of our problems. And the way that I view that is instead, it's, it's one piece of the puzzle. There are still actually some new problems or maybe not new, but maybe less talked about things you have to still manage, whether it's now you have smart contracts that you need to administrate or still managing keys to some degree, but it's a very, definitely a powerful tool and we do use it at, at Bastion. Wait, you said that there's a new shiny thing in crypto that everybody thinks is the silver bullet? <laughs> oh my God, what an industry. <laughs> I haven't heard this before. <laughs> so Micah, uh, same, same to you and, and maybe what is the type of security um, angles you've encountered if, if you dealt with that, with that specific standard or anything similar? Yeah, 100%. So at WebSea, a lot of the tools that we build are meant for traditional EOA-style wallets. But with the introduction of 4337, obviously we're thinking about what's our plan for that. There's also another EIP that's called 6900, which is like a, a way to build on top of the 4337, which we're looking into because that fits perfectly with us. Because when we're thinking about safety and security tooling as a layer on top of wallets. So one thing I'll clarify is that WebSea isn't a wallet. We're like um, a layer of tools to add to your wallet and to support the infrastructure that you've chosen because individuals have a completely different setup. So we can actually extend our services as APIs for teams that are building wallets as a service or as APIs for teams that are building AA wallet support for their end users because ultimately the goal is to serve end users so that they have better safety tools in the space. Uh, so it's super exciting. I think it enables a lot of ways for users to get started in the space without having the background to understand all of the gritty nits and pieces that happened on the back end. But we're thinking about it 100%. Interesting. A question maybe on, on the angle of completeness, right? So let's say account abstraction, as Riaz said, is part of the toolkit. Visa um, is using, you know, WebSea and Bastion are using it. I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is this has attracted enough eyes so it becomes kind of a part of an industry standard. But that's not the only thing, right? The experience, as, as, as you mentioned earlier, there is also, it has to do with the cost of operating things or with having to have a specific component on your computer. And at times, it also creates this feeling that if you don't know what's going on as a user, you might also feel that you're not as in control as you should because we're talking about the internet of ownership. But at times it doesn't really feel we own because we don't really understand what's going on. And there's a lot of insecurity in users handling their own keys and their own processes. So what is still missing in the overarching UX landscape other than these new advancements that would be necessary for us to claim, oh, this this looks good or this looks great. You know, what are these pieces that you would expect? And let's really go, you know, all out and think like, if this exists, this, this, not a single bullet probably, but what are the components to that particular experience? And let me start with you, Catherine, because I know you guys have this kind of lab that's looking, I don't know, two years into the future. So if you can share, obviously, what what do you think is the, Mies and pieces that we still need to tap into to fix the UX in crypto? There are many, I think. I've, and I think it does depend on the persona you're looking at uh, from an institutional 
standpoint, right, that could look very different of how you can get a bank onboarded onto the blockchain versus just you and me. Well, you and me, not you and me, but, you know, the the equivalent uh, out there who hasn't really touched crypto. So I think let's start with some of the institutional. And this is where I think, for example, privacy continues to be a really important area uh, of both debate, but also what is the best practice? What is the standard expected in that use experience? And I think it ties into so many different things, not just on the uh, sort of the UX per se, but just in the fundamental protocol design itself, uh, what should we anticipate? So that's a very big open area that, you know, we have very much active engagement in that. And I think... Another related, but also I think goes very hand in hand with what is this piece around the identity, right? Um, how do you really tie your personal or social identities very deeply embedded into that, but while maybe it's privacy preserving. So I think all these while kind of different buckets, but overall that's that sort of like the next generation of what's the sort of level of expectation they're looking for. But I'm sure both of you have more more insights into that with a direct yeah conversation with clients. Yeah, what's showing up in the horizon, Micah? Well, I, I really agree with Catherine about the split between institutional versus consumer because they're completely different conversations when it comes to something like this. Um, I also like to think to kind of the the vision that blockchain promises us, right? We, we think, oh, decentralization, all oh, ownership, oh, like lack of a centralized entity. But then we actually get it. And then as consumers, we realize, oh, now I have to manage it. I have to keep it safe. If I get hacked, it's my fault. All of these things that kind of come with it. And then it the it ties back to things like traditional financial planning. Financial planners own trillions of dollars in assets on behalf of their uh, clients for a reason. It's because we don't want to do it ourselves or we don't have the time because we want to do other things like have our own jobs or have a family and all these other things that come with the beautiful experience of being a human. Uh, so when it comes back to something like this, I think people say they want a lot. It's kind of that quote, like people don't know what they actually want. Right. And so as long as the experience is easier, more delightful, more logical and flexible, I think that's one thing is that since everyone's situation is different, it has to be dynamic uh, and it's impossible to ex- to be able to uh, identify every single experience that ever happens because humans are so varied. Uh, and so I think that's one thing where it's a it's an endless cycle of continuing to build. But even Web2, we're, we're still figuring it out in a lot of different ways, too. Yeah. Interesting. You, you bring this up on the the risks of, you know, as as the quote goes, being your own bank, right? The problem with being your own bank is the risk of being a bank. <laughs> and not every one of us is 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 actually ready to to face that reality, right? If you ask anyone in the world, do you do you yourself want to be a bank? I don't know how many people are gonna say, oh yeah, absolutely will, right? So I think I think we're we're we're, the degree of abstraction needed uh, is still is still kind of we're still kind of tapping at it. So, Riaz, in in that regard, I mean, what is that missing piece? Do do we have uh, yet another silver bullet coming, <laughs> or are they many? <laughs> it's an interesting question. And at Bastion, we really believe that we shouldn't have to be waiting for the future of everything to arrive, and that even today, it's very possible to build user experiences in Web3 and it really have to just focus on, on the user experience for the users who aren't ready to be their own bank, that don't understand what a blockchain is and may not ever need to know what it is. I think that as a space, we focused on the, the shiny things and the decentralization and you know the 1% of people, how many percent of people who are ready to be their own bank. 
when the reality is we need to bring on and onboard the users that may not be ready. And my view is that there'll they'll be a user journey and some will graduate into, into being ready to take on more of this, of this burden. But ideally, that burden is, is lessened by great UX and experiences that are also secure. So I think, really, I think we, today it's, it's very possible and is with Bastion, that's our, our, our true belief and why we're building in the space is that we think today we should be able to build great user experiences that bring, bring that extra, you know, the next billion, as everyone says, into Web3, bring the most in the user journey, and those who want to graduate into the more advanced, you know, taking advantage of the more advanced features of blockchain, the ones that we have today, but all the exciting things that are coming in the future, we're excited, but it's not going to you know, necessarily be everyone. Just to actually build up on Mauricio's like earlier comments, actually, just to sort of to be more explicit of to really self custody or not to do that, right? Like, to what extent I'm wondering, does that directly feed into the UI UX, or do you think, regardless of that philosophical decision of whether I truly believe in self custody or not, you could achieve that same level of UX without compromising, say, in other kind of main things like security and such? What do you guys think? Maybe, Riaz, you, you can start. I can start. with At Bastion, we start with custodial APIs. And so we, we've taken the belief that custodial is the best user experience today. And again, that goes back to the reverse engineering from user experience to the tech and just how we've been building Bastion and building for our customers to build on top of. We'll see with what kind of abstraction, all the additional work that's being done also on-chain like for the infrastructure layer, improving gas costs, all these, all these bits and pieces that the best minds are working on across the space, across many chains, what it will take to really also have self-custody come to the same parity. But I'd say today we, we've taken the stance that custodial, working backwards from user experience, uh, is certainly is the best user experience. Yeah, and at WebSea, yeah, we, and I personally believe that both are definitely necessary, right? For the most part, when you onboard onto crypto, you're onboarding onto a custodian. A lot of people use Coinbase as the main one, at least in the United States, and so on. And it's a great user entrance. And it's nothing that should be overlooked at all. And then some people like graduate into self-custody, and that's when you can start doing other things within the whole Web3 ecosystem. Because you, you can't interact with some of these Web3 dApps with a custodian account. And so that's what self-custody unlocks in many different ways. And at WebSea, we're building tools to help improve that safety around self-custody. But then this whole custody space needs a lot of help too, as we see. It, has, it needs checks and balances in the way that every custodial centralized system needs to have. Um, and so we, we believe in supporting both. And at the time for WebSea right now, we're seeing the most number of wallet drains and hacks for individuals happen on the self-custody side of things. So that's where we're choosing to focus on. But we'll see like people swirl money in every single direction. And so the whole ecosystem needs to be connected from the ground up. I I think that there's one thing that we kind of started from the end with Web3. We overly financialized this thing way too fast. And then we forgot to handle identity. And then everybody thinks that we're anonymous or pseudonymous. But in reality, we're all people. And and there are implications, you know, of being a person. And, and this... Uh, has been overlooked by the industry for a very long time. So I think um, just to go back to the, the one of the, the key developments on ZK, I think ZK, um, in terms of enabling your selective disclosure of private data, is going to be 
something that will attract the non-anon <laughs> or the docs people uh, in ways that we haven't been able to yet because uh, anonymity or pseudonymity uh, can also be scary uh, when you're used to having your taxpayer ID or your social security number or whatever the number is close to you and being used for business purposes. Uh, this is also something that I think scares a lot of people in and prevents them from interfacing with the industry because it's unnatural to them. They are used to managing that piece of data. So I, I feel that uh, zero knowledge will uh, increasingly make this more interesting for, for the non-initiated. So hoping, hoping that comes true. So we're about done in terms of time. We could be here for hours talking about this and actually working on this. I love that the three of you are builders and it's lovely to uh, hear from your perspective. So uh, wrapping up today's discussion, uh, I really appreciate you guys joining us today. I want to know where can the people that are listening to us find more about you and your companies, uh, Micah? So Webacy, our website is webacy.com and you can find our social handles at mywebacy and then myself personally, it's at Micah Isogawa uh, on all social channels. Nice. Uh, Rias. So you can find us at bastion.com, uh, B-A-S-T-I-O-N. Our handle is at Bastion Platform on Twitter or X. Uh, my own handle is my first name, R-I-Y-A-Z and D-F. And we're also on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Catherine? Visa.com, but definitely on the Visa Crypto page. That's where we put out all our latest thought leadership. Uh, personally, I'm active on LinkedIn and X, it's catgu underscore. Awesome. Uh, you can find me on 0x Mauricio on twi uh, X Twitter. Uh, <laughs> we never know which one to use. <laughs> I never know. I never know. I, I you know, Twitter. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well as Mauricio Magaldi and 11fs.com. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We have lots in the works and we're so excited to be talking about crypto and blockchain with all of you again. If you can't wait until the next episode, take a look at the many previous episodes on your back catalog. Get yourself properly immersed in the world of crypto. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Blockchain Insider or email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. This is all for today. Stay rare. Stay weird. LFG.